0: His absence, as he is preaching at 12th Street, Uh, we are going to continue on in our study of Matthew as we walk through this text. This is probably, for the majority of us here, a fairly familiar text. The story of the rich young ruler, the one who comes to Jesus seeking how he can enter into life or how he might be saved. And you say, well, Aaron, when you come to this... Matthew doesn't tell you that he's a rich young ruler. How do you come to that? Well, because this is one of the stories of Jesus' ministry that is in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This story, this passage is in every one of them and relayed in each and every one. And in each and every one, it, it immediately follows the story that just came here in Matthew chapter 19 verse 13 where the children were brought to him and he rebukes the disciples for holding them back and says, come to him. And he suffers the little children to come unto himself. And in, in these, I just have to believe that the sovereign God of the universe as he is moving in hearts and lives of men to write his word and to put it together so that it can convey the message of the truth of what he has done for us to us. That we see juxtaposed beside one another in every text that it's in. Those who are coming and called to come as little children, those who are called to come surrendering everything, those who are called to come with no ability to do anything for themselves. And then the story of one who comes in his own means, by his own power, longing to do what he can to accomplish what only God can. Stand with me as we read this morning in Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. The Word of God says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would have eternal life, keep the commandments. He said to him, "'Which ones?' And Jesus said, "'You shall not murder, "'you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, "'you shall not bear false witness, "'honor your father and mother, "'and you shall love your neighbor as yourself.' The young man said to him, "'All these I have kept. "'What do I still lack?' Jesus said to him, "'If you would be perfect, "'go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, "'and you will have treasures in heaven.'" And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is possible, but with God all things are possible. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word today. You may be seated. You know, it's been said of this text, and I've heard it preached and taught in a number of places, that the young man came to the right individual... He came with the right question. He came seeking the right response. And he went away giving the wrong answer. And that is what takes place in this text. I would tell you today that as we come to this passage, that we see God moving in the hearts and lives of men and women. Because... This does not seem to be one of those questions that is asked of Jesus as it is asked by the scribes or the Pharisees or the ones who interpret the law. This seems to be a a young man who comes with a genuine question, having lived out a life that would be wonderful and good in the eyes of everyone who is watching. And he comes to Jesus realizing and seeing and sensing and believing that there's something yet missing. How can I have eternal life. What good deed must I do? I've done all of these things and for some reason I don't feel confident in what I have. I don't feel confident and in, in have the assurance that I have a relationship with the one true God of the universe and that I have eternal life, that I'm going to enter into the kingdom of God. There's that sense of strong doubt in his life. And he knows he's been a good man. So clearly in his thinking, there's got to be something else that he must do in order to enter into the kingdom of God and have eternal life. So he comes to the only one who can truly answer the question. R.C. Sproul says, and I agree, that this is really the story of every man. We title it the rich young ruler, but this is you. This is me. This truly is every man and every woman and every child. We come into life and we have such confidence in everything and we're doing those things that we think we need to do and we believe that everything is going to work out. And there's just something that keeps nagging in the back of our minds. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I can't guarantee. And so we come seeking and looking. Only by the Spirit of God do we do that. That's God placing that within our lives so that we might know that there's something Missing. And we know that we have to answer the question, how must I have eternal life? What must I do? That's what most of us actually ask. What, what do I need to do to enter into the kingdom of God? What do I need to do to become a Christian? What do I need to do to become a follower of Christ? What do I need to do? And it's all about what we can do. And so I would say that as you sit here listening today, there are a number of you in different positions in life. Some of you have come to this passage. You've come to this understanding. You've come to God and you've surrendered your life to him and you would be disciples and followers of Christ. Some of you have come and you've heard and you've listened and you've said, you know what, I agree, you, you must be, I'm good. And so therefore I am resting on my goodness to enter into the kingdom of God. Everybody's going to die and go to heaven. No one is going to die and spend eternity without God. Everyone is going to die and spend eternity with God as long as they were just okay. As long as we, as long as we didn't do these horrible things, everybody gets to go to heaven. Everybody gets to know God. And that's what you're resting on. And then some of you are coming with a doubt today. And you're wondering, what must I do to be saved? And so I know that I'm not going to have everyone's attention for the full amount of this sermon. So I want to give it to you right now. There's not a single solitary thing that you can do or say to enter into the kingdom of God. If you're resting on something that you have done in the past or said in the past, something that was of your own merit and own strength and own power, it is not going to let you enter into the kingdom of God. You will be rejected by the Father. That's a promise in Scripture. There is nothing we can do to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, most of us who are sitting here today would say, yes, I-, I agree with that. But do we agree with that in practice? In more than just lip service to the truths of Scripture? Do we live it out in our daily lives? Is it worked out in who we are, and what we do. We've come and we've asked the same question as the rich young ruler. And unless this is your first time hearing the gospel of Jesus today, you've already given one response. Was it the right one? Let's see. Jesus responding to the question says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good, absolutely. If we go back into Scripture, we can see that only God is good. I would say that this is probably, if you walk through this text, and is pointing back to the law in uh, the the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 here, you really see Jesus pointing to the goodness and the greatness of God as being the only one who truly is good. The only one who is good enough to enter into eternal life is God himself. And that's what the law proves out to us because Jesus is going to present to this rich young ruler the law itself and confront him with what it is and what it says. Not so that he can be saved by the law, but so that the law can confront him where he is and demonstrate to him that he is in desperate need of a savior. And that's exactly what I would ask of you to see from this text as well: is that you are in desperate need of a Savior, and there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. You cannot live a perfect life. If you've lived a perfect life to this point, raise your hand. There's sin in every one of our hearts and sin in every one of our lives. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of what's taking place. That's not the end of everything that has happened. So Jesus tells you, why are you asking me what's good? God is good and you understand that. Jesus is presenting him with the law. He's presenting with a goodness that man does not even begin to understand and to see. A goodness that is way out of his reach to attain because that's where perfection is for us way out of our reach. So he says, there is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus points back to what the Levitical law says. If you would have life, keep the commandments. If you would have life, follow the commands of God. If you would have life and enter into the kingdom of God, obey God. The problem is we have to obey God and obey the commands perfectly, which is where every one of us, including the rich young ruler, falls short. And so then the rich young ruler asks, he says, well, which ones? We look at this and we think, well, that's kind of a crazy question, but you have to understand. So there was the, the law that was given by God, right? We have the Ten Commandments and we have the law that would apply actually apply all of those and all of these numerous laws in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And as you walk through these, there's a a large number of these. And then on top of that, you have what the scribes and the Pharisees placed on top of that, the burdensome law that was man-made. It was not given to them by God, which Christ usually rejects just wholeheartedly. And so Jesus goes back to The basis of all the law that has been given to the people of Israel. He goes back to the Ten Commandments. And so this was still a sincere question. The young man is still asking, but which ones? I've been a good man. I'm good. You just don't know my life. Just look at me. I've done all of these things. I've been great. Jesus says, well, you shall not murder. Okay, check. You shall not commit adultery. Mm, not a problem. Haven't done that one. You shall not steal. I no need to steal. I've got plenty of money. I even give to the poor. You shall not bear false witness. I got my money honestly. I didn't cheat, steal, beg, or borrow to get what I have. I, I worked hard. I was good. And God blessed me because of that. Honor your father and mother. Oh, I, I love them. They, they helped me. They were there. I took, they took care of me and I, I'm taking care of them as best I can. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, oh, well, I, I give alms all the time. I, I give to the poor. I, I see need and, and I just give. I, I've got all this money. I just help them out every time I get a chance. So I'm, I'm loving my neighbor. Jesus, I've, I've done all of these. And it's at this point that we usually want to jump in and just condemn the young man and say, no, no, you haven't done these. You couldn't have done these. There's no way that you've done all these. But his understanding of his life, his understanding of who he is and what he has done, truly does lead him to believe he has done all of these. That he has been faithful to the law. It's not that uncommon of a stance and an understanding. As a matter of fact, if you, Paul in Philippians 3, 6, when he talks about the law, he says, I'm, I'm blameless to the law. I'm a Pharisee living out every, de- I was a Pharisee living out every detail of the law that I possibly could live out to the law. I am blameless. So this young man had a similar understanding of his life as Paul did. He was living a life that was in submission to the law of God. And we see Jesus go back to exactly that. He goes back to the the basis, the the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And that's where he goes. But notice he didn't start from the beginning and list out all ten, did he? What Jesus did is he starts in the middle. He starts with our, our care for one another don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Well, those are simple to keep. Unless we've been listening to Jesus' teaching, we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, well, really, when you hate your brother, that's murder. Hmm. Well, I become guilty, don't I? When you lust after that other individual... That becomes adultery. Oh, I become guilty, don't I? Don't steal when I want what you have so bad that I'm willing to do anything to get it. When I covet, oh, I become guilty, don't I? Honor your father and mother. Have, have I done that all of my life? Oh, full obedience to them. No, I become guilty of the law, don't I? Love your neighbor as yourself. When I really look at it, am I more concerned about their well-being or my well-being? Am I more concerned about what they have or what I have? No, the more I look at it, the more I apply Jesus' understanding of the law of it, it's not so much a matter of what happens on the outside, but it's, it's a matter of what's happening in the heart. It's a condition of the heart and an understanding of who I am and who God is and bringing myself to the one who is good and laying myself bare before him and saying, I do not measure up at all. I can't call myself good when I stand in the presence of a perfectly holy, righteous, sovereign God. I can only call myself what I am, a no-good, dirty, rotten sinner who is dead in his trespasses to sin, desperately needing a Savior when God stepped in. And Jesus, understanding the man's heart, understanding his understanding of the law. Jesus knowing what's going on in this individual, knowing what his God really is. Jesus says, well, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, come follow me. That's a strong statement. Now I know every one of you out there is thinking, well, that's just a command for the rich young ruler, right? That's just a command for him. Because it is a command that Jesus gives him. Go, sell, and give. That's what he tells him to do. And he says, follow me. Get rid of all of those distractions in your life. Get rid of everything that is holding you back from doing what I'm going to ask you to do. Go get rid of all your wealth and your prosperity. Give that mess to the poor and come and follow me. And I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to offer you treasure in heaven. Not right now, but in heaven you will have treasured with him. Come follow me. Is this command just to the rich young ruler? I don't think it is. Because you see, I know men and women today who God calls to surrender absolutely everything they have. To give up every aspect of life that makes them comfortable. I can tell you the story of a gentleman working for TVA, living a comfortable life with his family, and God calling him to give it all up and to move to a small place in Appalachia to serve God. I can tell you a story of two college friends who played volleyball together, who God called and said, Give up everything that you were hoping for, all the aspirations and dreams that you had, and come. And go to Salt Lake City and follow me. I can tell you the story of a 20 something aspiring businessman who had all the comforts that life could give. And God said, Nope, come. I want you to go here and follow me. I know that means selling. Your possessions. I know that means moving to a place you've never seen before. I know that that means going with no hope of being able to sustain yourself. But I'm calling you anyway. You see, we look at the rich young ruler, and we're e- it's easy for us to say that his money was his God. And God asked him to give up what was God in his life because that's what God does. Amen. Let me ask you what's God in your life? Is it your money? Is it your job? Is it your family? I can tell you of a doctor who specialized in medicine at a world-renowned institution who left all to follow Jesus and in leaving all, all left him. His wife and family deserted him. He had no means. He was working for about $8 an hour. They left all to follow God if you were to examine your life what is it that you're unwilling to give God is it is it this truly is it your money what's not on the table is it your location where you live is this the only place you could ever dream of living? in, so therefore I'm not going anywhere else. Are you the workaholic who has to have that job and that responsibility? Are you one who has to be the provider? If your money's holding you back, you're the same as a rich young man. You're being held back by your money and following after God and surrendering your life to him because Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say that a call to come and follow Jesus is a call to come and die. He does away with a notion of cheap grace and the fact of the matter is that following after Jesus is costly and it costs us everything that we have. And if we're not willing to surrender it to God, then we're not following him. We're not running after him. We're still holding on to the past. John's pick of music today was absolutely beautiful. When when the cross is before us, are, are we turning back? Are we looking back? Are we longing for what we had? Or are we looking at the cross, forgetting what's behind us? Knowing that what's ahead of us is superior to what's behind us. Knowing that what's ahead of us is going to sustain us. Knowing that Jesus really is enough no matter what. You see, we live in a culture that prides itself on being able to provide, being able to succeed, being able to pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps and make something out of ourselves. Do you have something in your life that is preventing you from running fast after Jesus? Do you have something in your life that is preventing you from following after him with everything that you have? Do you have something in your life that is interfering with your relationship to God? If you do, you better surrender it. For some of us, it's money. For some of us, it's our job. For some of us, it's our family. For some of us, it's a ball. For some of us, it's whatever you want to do, our education, our success, whatever it is. For some of us, it's a relationship. Whatever it is, it's your God. If you've not laid it on the table and offered it to God and said, I'm willing to give it all to you, then you must. That's where it is. And for some of you, let's just be, he's going to call you to sell everything you have and to move somewhere that you never wanted to be and to follow him. And the only thing he's going to promise you in the midst of that is that I am enough. That's what he's promising the rich young ruler here. If you'll go give it all away, Go give it all away and understand that what you receive in receiving me is more than you could have ever gained from this moment forward. But honestly, we just don't believe that. We just don't believe it. It's great words to hear in a sermon and it's wonderful to read in the Bible. This is a good story. But Jesus isn't calling me to do that. That's nonsense. It's just for the rich young ruler. Maybe it is. But did you ever ask God if it was for you? If you read the story and jump to the conclusion that it's not, let me ask you to go back and read the story and then ask God himself. Is this for me? Is this what you'd have me to do? What is it that I can do? You see, what Jesus was asking for, he he really wasn't asking for uh, just disinvestment of what the man had. He was truly calling him to a life of discipleship. He was calling him to follow me to follow me. Get rid of everything that would prevent you from following me. Get rid of everything that hinders you and follow me. Get rid of all of these things and become my disciple and let me show you how awesome and wonderful a relationship that is in full submission to me truly is. That's coming to know God. That's coming into the presence of a Savior. Jesus wasn't going to waste this moment with his disciples because he is the master teacher. He was going to open up their eyes and enlighten them to the truth. And he said to his disciples, only with difficulty will a rich person enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And then for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but where we stand right now today, I believe is where they stood typically in Palestine. We look at someone with success and wealth and prosperity and we think God's hand of blessing is upon them. Maybe. Maybe not. That may be God's blessing upon their lives, but it may be what Satan is using to prevent them from surrendering their lives to God. And and so they're astonished. He says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Do do you understand what you're, you're looking at in Palestine today? The largest animal that they would have typically dealt with was a camel. And then you go into the home and you find the smallest opening that you can possibly find, which is the eyelet of a needle. And if you've ever tried to thread a needle recently, you know just how small those really are. And the older we get, the smaller they seem to get, Right? If you don't believe me, go help the angel ladies ladies tomorrow, and you thread all their needles for them, and just see how small those really are. So it's, I want to stop for just saying, do away with a little bit of a myth that happened in the 19th century at some point, that, that this was some type of gate on the side where if you took the stuff off of a camel. He could get down on his knees and, and crawl through this gate. Which so if you prodded him and kicked him and pushed him enough you could actually get a camel through this little gate in the side of the entrance into Jerusalem. That's not the case. That gate was never there at this point in time. They have no understanding of that. Jewish history does not show that. Jewish commentaries on the text don't show that. Any, nothing shows that until about the 19th century, century sometime we start hearing that and it gained speed somehow. I don't know how. But that's not the case. What Jesus is giving them is a common saying of something that is absolutely 100% impossible to do. You're never going to get a camel through the eye of a needle. It's not going to happen. It just simply is impossible to do. And that's how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, and that surprised the disciples because they thought they were blessed. If they can't get in, who in the world can get in? Because we see that as blessing. We see that as God's hand upon their lives. And you, before you get too excited, yeah, those rich people over there, that's hard for them to do. There's no one sitting in this room, no one sitting in this room, who in the category that he is talking about would not be considered rich. But again, let's go back to this is every man. Every woman, you, as a middle-class American, even as a lower-class American, economically speaking, you're rich compared to this. You make more than $5 a day. That's more than most of the world. You realize that? You are the rich I am. We are the rich people that he is talking about. It's not just the rich young ruler. He's talking about us. And I know some of you make less than others. That's not, not the point. He's talking about us. Compared to the rest of the world right now, you are wealthy beyond measure. Compared to Palestine at this time and the people that they were dealing with, you are wealthy beyond measure. We've got to start seeing ourselves in the text when we need to see ourselves in the text. And understand that when he's talking about the rich, he is talking about us. When we're talking about those who he says it is impossible for you to come into the kingdom of God, he is talking about us. Who can be saved? But then the greatness and the glory and the awesome wonder of God comes into play. With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. There is no one who has sinned enough that the grace of God is not sufficient enough to overcome those sins. There is no one who is rich enough that the grace of God can't overcome that and bring them into the kingdom of God. Because he's not talking about the disparity and the problem of wealth. He's talking about a self-reliance, self-dependence. I don't need God. Tell me what I can do to be good and I will do it. And then I can enter into the kingdom of God. And it simply does not work that way. We cannot get in by our own merit. By our own works. By our own deeds. By our own wealth. By our own anything other than full-on surrender and submission to the one true God of the universe, and you want to know how to do that, you can't. You can't. Only the Spirit of God drawing you can give you the ability to submit yourselves in full surrender to the one true God of the universe. You can't wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to do it. That's what the rich young ruler was doing. He was trying to figure out what he could do to earn eternal life. And God says, you can't. You can't do it. Matter of fact, in John chapter 6, verse 44, listen to what the word of God says. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Unless the Spirit of God calls you, it is impossible for you to come to know God. But I believe right now at this moment that in hearts and lives in this room right here, that the Spirit of God is calling you to come to know Him. He is calling you so that you can be drawn to Jesus and in the last day he will raise you up. Because Jesus again in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. We're all seeking eternal life. We're all looking to get into... Eternity with God. As we close, I want to ask you a question. What are you doing to enter into the kingdom? How are you seeking? Are you surrendering to the Spirit's call in your life to come to know Jesus and by faith and repentance in Him, putting your life in full surrender? Or are you like a man that I met several years ago who after explaining the truth of God's gospel to him looked me in the eye and he said, young man, I've lived a good life. I've been honest. I've never cheated people. I'm a good person. And I don't care what you or that Bible says. I'm good enough to get into the kingdom of God. I'm good enough. To get into heaven. And if I'm not, then I don't need to be there. That man died several weeks after that statement was made, still rejecting the truth of the gospel that he was not good enough. All of the good things he had done and the wonderful life he had lived and all of the great things that people would say about him on the day that he was buried. None of them were going to allow him to enter into the kingdom of God because we can't do anything on our own. As we close, I want to ask you this question. Are you willing to surrender your life to him? in just a moment we're going to have a time of invitation we're going to sing we're going to be down front and we're going to ask that you would respond to the message if you need Jesus then come take one of our elders by the hands and ask him what must, what must happen in my life for me to be saved and let him walk you through the scriptures and the truth of God's word surrender your life Not in your own will, because that is impossible, but by the will of God and the pull of the Spirit in submission to Him in faith and repentance. Come to know God today. Come to know Him. Respond to the Spirit's call in your life. Listen to what He's saying to you and surrender in full submission to what He's telling you. I love you. I think you're great and wonderful people, but you're not good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. If there's something in your life holding you back from doing whatever it is that God is working in your heart right now to do, come surrender it to Him. You know, for some of us, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks of coming to the altar and praying and dealing and bargaining with God. And then all of a sudden, one day when the pastor has done preaching, you're still there crying your eyes out and you're proclaiming to God, you know, God, if you'll just wait, if you'll just do this. And then you walk away and that little old lady greets you in the hallway. If you'll just give it up, it'll be okay. If you'll just do what God is telling you to do, it'll be okay some of you, that's what you need to do during this time of imitation. Fully surrender to everything God has called you to do. Let us pray.